Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, it really is a great privilege to be with you and uh, to uh, get to see uh, how Christ uh, Church Central is uh, developing. I nearly said Christ Church, so I nearly gave you the wrong name. How <laughs> Church Central is developing, and it's great, very exciting to be uh, going to three sites now and uh, to be speaking at those this morning. Uh, I'd love you, if you've got your Bibles, to open to Isaiah. Uh, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, in our time this morning, I just would love to just speak about holiness and uh, talk about particularly the holiness of God, but also how we as kind of fallen human beings, how do we connect with, enjoy, and ultimately how do we reflect the holiness of God? And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. I hope that as we look at this subject this morning, <clears throat> at least three things will happen, at least three responses will stir in us. Firstly, uh, it will deepen our awareness and worship of our holy God. I think whenever you look at the holiness of God and realize uh, his distinctions, I think it drives us to deeper worship. Secondly, I hope it increases our dependency on the transforming work of Christ. I guess whenever we look at the holiness of God and consider our own position, you think somehow we need to be bridged to the holiness of God. How do we ever relate to a God like that? And obviously we know, know that we need to rely on the transforming work of Christ. <clears throat> and also we want to strengthen our resolve to live lives that really do reflect the holiness of God. It says in Psalm 96 and verse 9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So really as we come to look at the whole subject, I'm hoping those three things will kind of get raised up in us as a response. So let's look first of all holiness. What does it mean when we start to talk about the holiness of God? Or what does it mean even to use the word holy? And I guess as we come to that subject, we might have our own opinions on it. I guess we have. We look through things we tend to, don't we, with our personal lenses. And uh, that might be dependent upon our experiences, I guess our theology, maybe even our personality comes to bear on our interpretation of the word holy. And it can get a little bit kind of subjective if we're not careful. So we want to make sure that we have an objective, biblical answer to the question, what is the holiness of God? We're going to look through the lens, I hope, of Scripture to really try and define what it means to use the word and understand the word holy. Certainly it's a word that the Bible loves to use. If you look up the word holy or holiness in a concordance, you will have a week's worth of references to look up and go through. It is absolutely everywhere. And if you go through the Psalms, you find the psalmists are singing constantly, holy is the Lord. You go through the prophets and they're forever declaring the holiness of their God. Uh, we get into kind of the leadership teachings through Joshua and other narratives and we hear them also declaring the holiness of God. So we get the feeling immediately that holiness and deity are almost synonymous terms. When we think about holiness, we kind of think about deity. When we think about deity, we think about holiness. Almost by definition, God, to be truly God, has to be holy. But even when we come to that realization, it's going to need a bit of work to understand what does it really mean, though, for God to be holy? What is it we're describing when we talk about the holiness of God? Now, some of you might have heard of or even read 
some of the books by a guy called R.C. Sproul, American theologian, Christian writer. And uh, some years ago, he wrote a book called The Holiness of God. And it's a really helpful book. I commend it to you. We actually bought it uh, when we did some teaching on the holiness of God in Emmanuel. We bought copies of that book for the church to buy. And it's back in reprint. It was out of print for quite a while. And I really commend you Uh, that book as a resource if you want to learn further about this subject on the holiness of God. In that book, R.C. Sproul, or R.C. as he's kind of affectionately known in the States, he talks about a progressive understanding of the holiness of God by using three descriptive words. And I want to talk about those three descriptive words this morning. Firstly, to understand what the holiness of God really means, he says we need to understand and use the word purity. We might want to talk about cleanness, spotlessness, innocence, moral perfection. That's what he says, first of all, when you want to understand the holiness of God, first of all, understand the term purity. And this is where we're going to read Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In Isaiah 6 verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord then saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. This is an amazing piece of Scripture describing the moment when impure, certainly unholy humanity encounters holy deity. And there is this clash of cultures Immediately, the response that Isaiah makes when he is faced with God in his holiness is, woe is me. I'm lost. He declares, as we've just read, his own uncleanness. He says, I am unclean. My lips are unclean. I live among a people with unclean lips. And he's right there in the middle of this kind of engagement with a holy God. And he knows the contrast is going to be made between God's purity and his impurity. That's the thing that strikes him first. Woe is me, I am a man of impurity. And that always happens when we come into the presence of our holy God. We immediately feel, don't we? We feel our own sin. Because you're coming to a one who is pure, who is sinless, who does have, as we said earlier, moral perfection all the way through the old testament we know purity was a big deal was a big issue those moments where there was consecrational washing 
where there are all of the laws put in place for God's people, when you're going to come into the presence of God, this is what you have to do. You have to make yourself ready. You have to wash. You have to get yourself ceremonially clean. All of that was tipping towards the day when Christ would make us eternally clean and we could be in the presence of God forever. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, certainly here when Isaiah is uh, giving his account, there was this sense that you could never stay in the presence of God because He is pure and we are impure. So purity goes some way to defining what the holiness of God means, but it can't be exhaustive. There's more to the holiness of God than purity. Otherwise, a seraphim would be simply singing, pure, pure, pure is the Lord of hosts. But they're not. They're singing more than that. They're singing holy. So R.C. Sproul goes on to a second word. He says purity is the first. The second is separateness, to be separate. It says in Ezekiel 38.23, I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of the nation. That's what God says about himself. Why does God need to make himself known? Because he's separate from the nations. In his holiness, he is apart from humanity. So God self-discloses all of the time. If humanity are going to meet God, it has to be on God's terms and he has to disclose himself, make himself known to the nations because he is separate. This word separate literally means to cut or to be cut away. We might say that God is a cut apart. He's not simply morally perfect and pure. He's also separate from us. He's not with us. We're not connected to him. Even in the way that the instructions were given for the tabernacle and, and latterly the temple teaches right into this in the, Exodus 26 verse 33. It says, You shall hang the veil in the tabernacle by the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in with the veil and the veil shall separate for the holy place from the most holy place must be separate. Even in the tabernacle, there was this understanding that God was going to be separate. He was going to be apart from us. And even in the Old Covenant, when the people of God were kind of declared as holy, they too were going to be separated. It says in Leviticus 20, you should be my holy people, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you. So even when God's people begin to reflect the holiness of God, it was going to be a separation. So it's seen that God is pure, God is also separate, and then the third aspect that R.C. Sproul gives in his understanding, his definition of the holiness of God, is transcendence. Now that was a bit of a tough word for me, I had to dig around that one to get my brain around it. It basically means to climb across a gap, or we might say to exceed usual limits. So God is pure, he's separate from us, And he is transcendent, which means he has exceeded human limits. He is completely elevated above us in every way. He is superior to us in every way it's possible to be superior. He is transcendently elevated. It says in Exodus 15, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? majestic in holiness and obviously the answer is none none is like God in his holiness so whichever way we look at it we see a God who is completely different to us 
when we start digging around the holiness of God, we see a God who is completely different. He is morally perfect and pure. And we know ourselves to be impure. That He is separate. He's not with us. He's apart from us. And He is transcendent. He has exceeded all of our limitations. That's why Isaiah Isaiah said, we recognize God's transcendence. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Now, what are the challenges, of course, about teaching on the holiness of God in the way that we have? And even using R.C. Sproul's definition is it leaves us answering the question, so what happens to us then? If God is like that, which we believe He is, if He is completely pure, separate, and transcendent, how on earth do we ever connect with a God like that? How do we ever draw close with all of those things, if all of those things are true, which they are? Where does that leave us? Well, like Isaiah, we find ourselves at the beginning say, woe is me, for I am lost. We find ourselves thinking, don't we? Man, if God is so pure, how are we ever going to connect with Him? And that's where we need to begin to understand the prophetic nature of Isaiah chapter 6 and the place of Christ. I'd love you to flip forward to the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Peter begins to talk about the possibility of us reflecting the holiness of God and living holy lives through Christ. We might think it sounds like the impossible dream. How could we become part of something that was going to be pure, that's going to be separate, that's going to be exceeding the usual limits of humanity? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So holiness can be relevant for people. It is possible somehow for men and women, for me and you, to connect with the holiness of God. And the phrase I want to draw your attention to is the phrase, set your hope fully on the grace revealed in Christ. That's the grace that's been revealed in history through the resurrection, the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. It's the future hope that we place in God for what happens next. And also it is for our lives right here and now. It's the ongoing grace of God revealed through Christ. And it starts to speak about a bridge between a holy God and an impure people. And what happened in Isaiah's encounter with God was one of these seraphim creatures, slightly weird, wings covering their face, wings covering their feet, with two wings they're flying. And it says they get some tongs and they get a white hot coal off the altar, this elevated place where the holy God is resident. And from the place where God is, the seraphim get a white hot coal and they come over to Isaiah who has declared that his own lips are impure and he lives among a nation of people with impure lips and this bizarre transaction takes place. The seraphim touches the lips 
of Isaiah with a white hot coal. And as he does that, he says, your sins have been taken away. This has been an atonement for you. You have no longer got to stand guilty before this holy God. It's like the white hot forgiveness of God comes right in and touches Isaiah in the place where he felt most filthy. His declaration was his lips were unclean. So there from the presence of God comes the white hot forgiveness of God, the atoning sacrifice of God comes in and touches him right on the lips. Now I don't know about you, but the lips are one of the most sensitive parts of our body. Think about that. That's why we like to kiss, don't we, those that we feel closest to. Because our lips are the most tender, sensitive things. I once had a fondue when I was dating Wendy. Back when fondues were trendy. Do you remember that? Any of you old enough? And uh, Wendy and I were having a fondue. I'm trying to be really cool and laid back because I really like Wendy. And we're there at a friend's house. And we're there and I stabbed a piece of raw meat. And I put my metal fondue fork in boiling oil at 300 degrees C. And uh, for some reason, while I'm trying to be cool and talk to Wendy, I use my lips to pull the meat off the metal fondue fork. And managed to, uh, my lips actually burnt to the fondue fork. So as I'm trying to pull that off, (laughs) finally pulled the fondue fork out and I ended up with a beak because I had a huge white blister on the top lip and a huge white blister on the bottom lip on my lips. And I can remember unceremoniously putting both lips inside a glass of water and pouring water. But the pain, the pain as my lips are like this. And yet Isaiah has that happen to him by God. says the white hot forgiveness of God comes burning into his place where he felt most filthy. And all of a sudden the transaction takes place. He goes from woe is me to I am lost to who will go for us? Send me. Use me. And somewhere there had been a transaction between the two from completely Completely feeling like a failure, unusable, dirty, lost, useless. The white hot forgiveness of God comes into Isaiah's life and all of a sudden when God says, who will go for us? He stands up with dignity and a sense of sonship and says, send me. I can be used by a holy God because the white hot forgiveness of God has come into my life. To the place where I felt most filthy, God says, I have no guilt. And through Christ, it says here in 1 Peter, it says, set your hope fully on the grace of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a momentary ceremonial cleaning. As we come to Christ, the white hot forgiveness of God comes burning into our filthiness. The place where we feel most redundant before God. The area that we say, oh, woe is me, I'm lost. Unclean mind, unclean imagination, unclean hands, unclean feet, unclean mouth. God says, okay, let me bring the white hot forgiveness of God right in. So you can be useful like Isaiah was to a holy God. That's what it says in Colossians 3.9. It says, don't lie to one another. 
See that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the the new has come. I want to give you a kind of a piece of beautiful Christian theology this morning. Okay? You are not two natures trapped in one body. You are not a Christian schizophrenic with an old nature and a new nature. With a tug of war going on inside of you. A demon on one shoulder and an angel on the other. If you're a Christian, you are a new creation. The old has gone. If the white hot forgiveness of God through Christ has come burning into your filthiness, then you are never going to meet the old you again. It's been crucified with Christ. That's why Paul could say, my life is now hidden with Christ in God. When God looks at Matt Partridge, he primarily sees Christ. Which is why when God says, who will go for me? I can stand and say, Lord, Father, send me. He says, okay, son, I will. Because I'm no longer lost, woeful, dirty, unusable. The gap no longer exists between me and a holy God because he has brought me into his holiness through the work of Christ. I, like Isaiah now, can be used by him. And I can reflect his glory and enjoy his holiness at work in my life. A guy called Jim Packer in his book, A Passion for Holiness, says this, All aspects of the believer's new status become real by virtue of Christ's suffering for them on the cross. This is momentous. To be justified means that by God's own judicial decision, I stand before him now and forever as if I had never sinned. To be adopted means that I now may call my holy creator judge Father in the intimacy of his beloved family and know myself to be an heir of his glory. To be cleansed means that nothing in my past imposes any restraint on my fellowship with God in the present. Amen? So you no longer have to stand before a holy God if your faith is in Christ, if you are putting your hope fully on the Lord Jesus. You, like Isaiah, can enjoy the transition. Woe is me, I am lost, I'm a man of unclean lips. The Lord, send me, use me. Enjoying and reflecting the holiness of God. So one final point, and we're going to pray together. Holy, this new life that I'm describing, that Christians can enjoy, We're not two natures having a tug of war saying it's a bad day today. My old nature won a little bit of ground back. My new nature's okay a bit in the ascendancy today. If you're a Christian, you're one new created person in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. And it says in 1 Peter 1 where we just read a moment ago, it says you also be holy in all your conduct. And it talks about obedience, It says in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. As obedient children. That's a lovely phrase, isn't it? It means holiness isn't a new set of rules and regulations. Holy conduct isn't simply a new law that now we've got to somehow adhere to. 
It's not a pressure saying, oh, look, I've got to get this right. I've, I've got to do my quiet time. I must get up at 5 a.m. and I've got to give my tithe. And, uh, you know, I must do this. That, is, that isn't holiness. That's legalism. Biblical holiness that's achieved through Christ is only ever enjoying something that's been given to you by a father. It's a family likeness. It's like DNA that kind of gets passed to you. And we just had the excitement in our family of having an intruder uh, trying to break into our house uh, night before last, three in the morning. And uh, I hear the uh, kind of our back gate go in the garden and I see our light light up in the back garden. We've got one of these PIR sensing lights and I open my bedroom window and look down and sure enough, there's this little scally trying to get in my back door. So I'm like, Hello! And he's off and climbs back over our um, fence. And uh, as he's climbing over the fence, he, his beanie hat comes off and drops in my garden. We had the police officers around last night take a statement. And obviously they said, right, we've got the hat. And the police officer opens his hat, gets a torch, goes, yeah, there's loads of hair in that. He said, if there were any burglaries last night, he said, we probably know who the suspects might be. We can go and have a check. And he said, now we've got some DNA evidence. There's no getting away from DNA. That's a rhyme and I didn't mean it to be. (laughs) There's no getting away from DNA. And it's like that for Christians. Holiness is a natural response for the children of God. It's not an impossible dream or a new set of rules and regulations. It's the natural obedience of children who want to be like their father. Holy lives come about by children wanting to have a family likeness with their father. So far from being unattainable or heavily imposed, holiness in the life of the believer is a worship response, a kind of joyful, delightful decision. We might even say it's a natural response for men and women who have been created to want to be like their creator, the saved who want to be like their saviour. A great book was written called Why Revival Tarries, talks about holiness Guy, two guys called Chris Brain and Robert Warren wrote a book and this is what they said about this subject. They said, what the world hungers for today is the discovery of what it means to be truly human. The world sees the destructive effect of devotion to the pursuit of money, sex and power in the lives of many of its heroes. But what people long for is a way of integrating the various parts of themselves and the insights of modern psychology and sociology in a way that leads to wholeness. Humanism cannot provide that answer. It is through the person of Jesus Christ alone that true humanity is found. Holiness is not about submission to authoritarian rules or narrow conformist notions of acceptable behavior. It is about the celebration of our fullest humanity. So if you want to be the most fullest, kind of, if you want to enjoy the most fullest expression of your humanity, come to Christ. Receive his white-hot forgiveness and begin to relate to a holy God and reflect his holiness in your life. It's what you were made to do. It's been taken away, distorted out and robbed from humanity since the fall. And the joy is through Christ, humanity get to get that reinstated again in their lives. So we are made fully human as we receive the restoration of our relationship with our holy God. 
and begin from that moment to enjoy the transforming power of Christ, turning our unusable, dull, grubby lives into shining, pure, usable lives, reflecting the holiness of the one who saved us. It's an amazing transaction. Just like Isaiah. He goes from, woe is me, I am lost, to here I am, use me. So right at the beginning, before I started speaking really today, I spoke about three goals from kind of talking about this for half an hour together. One was that we would hopefully deepen our awareness and worship of our holy God. I hope you want to do that. Secondly is to increase our dependency on the transforming work of Christ. I want to say, if you're not a Christian here today, you can give your life to Christ right now. Today. You don't have to wait any longer. There's no exam you have to do. There's no course you have to go through. You don't have to learn more stuff. You don't have to know more Christian facts. You just have to receive Jesus Christ by faith. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you can be saved. You can start a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ today and begin to enjoy a relationship with a holy God who to this point in your life has been pure but separate and totally above you, inaccessible in every way. Through Christ, you can become a relationship, in a relationship with him. You can begin to enjoy him. Secondly, we, uh, thirdly, we spoke about strengthening our resolve to live holy lives and reflecting and honoring God. I just want to encourage you. If you're here as a Christian today and you feel a bit heavy-hearted, you feel, Matt, if only you knew about my week. I haven't really reflected the holiness of God. That's not, that's not news to God, you know that. It's not like a best-kept secret from him. It's like, Matt, I don't mind you knowing, but don't tell him. He sees your motives. The Bible talks about a God who sees right into our hearts. He knows. And just like the kind of prodigal son and the father who is waiting for him, God's just waiting for you to come back. And as soon as you return to him, he restores you. If you're one of his, he won't punish you, he'll restore you. That's why it says in the New Testament, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. So just come back to him. Don't sit out the race of your Christian life forever feeling like you failed. That's not the natural response of a Christian believer. The response is as obedient children to enjoy the family likeness. So holiness, let's just summarize then we're going to pray. Holiness, what does it mean? I'll just leave the three words from R.C. Sproul's description for you. To call God holy means that he's pure, morally perfect, he's separate, and he's transcendent. He's above us in every way. So how can holiness be relevant to us? Through Christ. That's the only way into relationship with a holy God. Through Christ, the impure can become pure because the pure became impure. That's what the Bible teaches us about the work of Christ. It says, For him who knew no sin became sin in order that we might know the righteousness of God. So how does the impure become pure? By the pure becoming impure and taking on himself the sins of the world. 
So it is relevant for you. If you want to know the forgiveness and the purity of God, if you want to know what it is to live a life that's not with the crowd, lost and aimless, but actually separated for the glory of God and exceeding the normal limits set for sad humanity, then you need to come to Christ and receive the white-hot burning forgiveness of God. And don't let that, thirdly, don't let that become a new set of rules and regulations or burdensome expectations. Let it be the outworking of a family likeness. Being like God, like obedient children reflecting the holiness of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the way you disclose yourself to us. We recognize that had you not done that, we would have been lost forever without you. Well, thank you that you've taken all the initiative. You're the one who's come breaking into our lives, bringing to us this white-hot forgiveness into our lives. We thank you for that. We want to thank you that we can reflect the holiness of God in our own lives, just reflecting that family likeness. We're so grateful for that. I want to thank you for the way you bring your holiness to everyday situations, a sense of the kingdom of God wherever we bring you, take you as, as it were into our workplaces, schools, homes. We know something of the holiness of God right there. Just like Moses in the desert, take off your shoes. This is a holy place. Desert that Moses had walked for years. All of a sudden a small part of it was holy because God was there. We pray for many moments of the holiness of God being felt and seen in our various workplaces this week. We ask you for that. We pray, Holy Spirit, come and motivate us to live a life worthy of this calling. We ask you, Lord, really help us to believe that we're reflecting a family likeness as we enjoy you, live for you, lose our lives for you. We ask you for that right now. Pray for courage, Lord, for every life here. We pray that all of us would know courage to live for you, to really name you in our lives as being the Lord of it, to really be over every decision we make, we ask you for that kind of courage, Lord, and clarity in our lives. We pray right now for any in the room who are not yet in relationship with you or seeking you. I pray you give them courage too to really make a decision to accept this gift, to open their lives. We pray right now for that. Pray you keep meeting with individuals. We just want to encourage you, don't miss the moment. Don't go home without doing business with God. If you've sp- felt God speak to you during this morning, I just encourage you, do business with God. If you're a believer living under a guilty conscience, come to God. Confess your sin. Get reunited with Him. If you're not yet a Christian, don't keep searching. You found the treasure. It's Christ. Accept Him. Give your life to Him. And later in the meeting, I know Russ will give time for that response. So Father, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you that you have let us in all of our limitation get connected with you in your holiness. We thank you for that remarkable transition. And we give you all the glory. Amen.